This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufall, and as always, joined by Steve Mareska. Hey there. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about those basic security must-haves, but and I think you know where we normally focus on, say, information security, where it's more specific to like, business environments, I think... We're going to spend some time on what you can do at home, you know, personally, just to be more secure as an individual. Um, we debated a little bit about whether or not this would be appropriate for what we're trying to do in terms of a theme here. But the reality is everything that you do when you're at home is relatable or applicable to the office environment. Uh, the, the generalized concepts are the same. Uh, frankly, a lot of the techniques are the same. You, know, you might have the luxury of having an IT company or IT provider that's actually helping you accomplish some of the stuff in the business, but you know, good practices at home translate to good practices at your and, place of business. And the other way right around, you yeah. know, you want to do some of the things at home that you do at the office. So I think, you know, we'll probably frankly run through a little bit of you know, almost a laundry list of, you know, smart things to do at home. Some will cover a little bit more detail maybe than others. Uh, no particular order. Uh, I have no preference with when we start first. So I don't know if there's anything you want to tackle, Steve. Well, so I, I, let's talk about it in general. Um, People think of what they do at home as somehow a bit more protected or a bit safer. It, it's a place of relaxation. It's a place you go to get away from uh, the day-to-day. Uh, for many people, that means not having to log in every 15 minutes or hour or anything of that sort. It's comfortable. And sometimes that comfort is a problem, especially if you know, you've ever lost data or, or had your system you know, needing intervention or repair. I think that's really the framing. So, so it's funny you're talking about comfort, right? I think we will talk in the future about that blurred line between the workplace and home. And, you know, how do you actually now be a remote employee where maybe you know, your home was your sanctuary or now it's your office too? Uh, so that'll be an upcoming episode, no doubt. Um, but the other comfort part is, you know, how do you actually protect against the, maybe the unforeseen to some degree. So, you know, personally, and this just happened this weekend, right? I was uh, paddling across a lake with my wife. Uh, my son thought it'd be a great idea to try to jump in the canoe while we were moving. Yeah, he, was, he was jumping off of a raft. Immediately capsized us. Yeah, it wasn't dangerous. Right? It wasn't that deep where we were. But my wife had her phone. Phone is still at the bottom of the lake. Uh, and, you know, inconvenience aside, right, because it's a pain just in general to go and have to replace your phone. Uh, we just went on a pretty long trip. Um, and she fortunately had backed up all of her photos the day before. And, you know, we, uh, living with me, you would expect, right, we have a reasonably well-defined sort of backup strategy. But you have to have one because ultimately, you know, the phone was older uh, the inconvenience of going to get it is small enough. If you had lost 500 pictures from a trip you just took uh, that are frankly irreplaceable, that changes the the entire outcome of what really was a benign, you know, canoeing incident, right? And the same thing is true for us. Like uh, I, in an earlier time, was quite a photography person, um, film, digital. I did quite a bit, and. That's a little easier. You know, if you have that material, it sort of persists. It's tangible. Right. You can touch right. it. It's in a sh- on a shelf somewhere. Um, that's not the case. I have two kids now, and 
all of our photos are on our phones. We don't have a dedicated camera. And they're all works of art. You want to keep every one of us. Right. And if we didn't back them up, I mean, candidly, we'd be in a a bad place. We're soon to shift from one phone to another. That's sort of a typical activity for a lot of people. Every couple of years for a lot of people. And it's a pain point. You know, how do you get your stuff off of your old phone? Sometimes it's possible to do when you get your new one. Other times it breaks. What do you do then? Backing things up to the cloud, to another device, that's how you get around these problems, whether it's a canoe or simply, you know, replacing something that's now too old to use. And, and it's easy. You know, it's not uh, getting getting data off of a mobile device like a phone. You know, there's, you know, there's an app for that, right? <laughs> uh, uh, it, there's no friction anymore. There's no really... There's really no good reason to keep data locally and, and risk losing it. Um, typically, the fees are pretty low. I mean, I think, I mean, I think I used Amazon for mine over the last bunch of years. Probably cost me less than hundred dollars a year for a place to securely put my data. Right? It just isn't a big expense. And if you have Apple or Android devices, it's innate with the service. You can pay for more if you're on out. You know, and you'll it. need to right? right as soon as you start taking videos. So that's just the reality. Right. Use it. Right. But. You know, so so we've started with backups, I guess, right? And, and pictures are a big part, certainly of the personal landscape. But you know, you've got your taxes, you've got maybe some financial records. Um, the probably the important part of this is your hardware is very replaceable, your data not so much. You know, just back it up. And shifting a little bit, be careful about what you send and how you do it. Taxes are a great example. We're, you know, a couple months after tax season now, but the odds are very good that you received at least some of your forms in electronic form these days. Don't send it via email. Please don't. Right. That is, it's fundamentally not safe. Well, uh, so let's be, be specific about that. Sure. Email is not encrypted, right? Right. You send it. Email is not encrypted. It's never intended to be a really private means of communication, but people send sensitive things about themselves to Folks they've never really met, like uh, an accountant, um, all the time. Just be mindful of what you send to whom, and if you can, use means of sending it securely. They, meaning your accountant or a financial firm, they almost always have secure right. data transfer tools. If you have to, you know, uh, provide it physically. Send a USB key, something like that. It's at least a bit more secure than sending it over an unprotected ma- uh, route. Uh, it is it is interesting how many people utilize email to transfer data. Um, I think it's also interesting how often, and I'm trying to decide almost which way to segue into this, uh, people don't protect their email adequately. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have conversations with family members who, who say, well, it's just my email. Like, I, you know, I don't care if I don't have a complex password. Uh, my counter argument to that would be, Email arguably is one of the most important places where it's sort of inexorably linked to the password reset chain, right? Right. So if you don't protect your email, in a way, you're really opening up exposure to almost any service that you have. Right. It's a gateway to your bank, to your retirement funds, to your, uh, you know, uh, podcast provider, you name it. It's how you access those platforms. And if you're an attacker and you can get into email, you have access to everything else. Every, every service. You can change the password for basically every single service. So, so knowing that everybody probably has an email account, right? They, you can probably surmise they have a bank account and some other things. But let's just assume everybody has an email account. Uh, I think there's two key ways that we would say protect it, right? And the first would be good passwords. Like you have a strong password, um, 
that is unique from all of your other accounts, right? We always advocate for unique passwords for every type of business that you interact with um, and store that data in a password manager. And I think, so in two sentences, I just said a mouthful of things. Um, right, so bottom line, protect your email, use a good password. If you are one of the folks who has a tendency to um, use a formulaic password or embed a birth date or something like that to keep it memorable, um, I understand the mentality behind it, but it it's easy to guess. If it's short, realistically, computers can process that rather rapidly. Uh, Third-party providers of the many that you may use that password to access, uh, they get hacked all the time. So your account and the password might be out in the open, and if you reuse, reuse it in a bunch of places, you're just exposing yourself to other risks you don't anticipate. Storing it in a password manager you can have different passwords for everything. Different and complex ones, exactly. right? Because if you, if you, so I think I, I counted the other day, I think I had 463 unique credentials for different websites, right? You, uh, you might be a bit out of the, uh, out of the norm. There. So I don't know if I am. <laughs> when I went through it, truly, I looked at it and I thought, well, I, I, I kind of access these at some point over the course of a year. And they're not that uncommon in a lot of ways. Uh, some clearly are more maybe security important or, or you know, you know, bank accounts, insurance carriers, things like that. Uh, you know, a lot of them, not as important. But if you can remember your passwords, the likelihood is they're reasonably guessable. And so the password managers allow you to create a pretty complex passwords stored in a secure format, right? Right. Don't write it on a post-it note and leave it lying around. Right. It's just and, asking for trouble. Uh, you, you got me thinking now, though, whether or not you have 400 plus uh, different sets of credentials is ex- is extreme. I- I'll bet you if you count them, you're probably close to that. I'd be really surprised if you said something. Yeah, something could be. It so. doesn't matter ultimately. You have ten, you have a hundred. Uh, right. Same same sort of thought process applies. So we we got here from email. So let's yeah. go back to that a little bit. Well, okay. So being that email is the hub for interaction with so many services. What else can we do to ensure at home we're protected? So before we jump, though. I'm thinking, you know, people are probably saying, well, what is a password manager? You, do you have any recommendations? Um, I'll say, you know, I, I personally try to avoid recommendations more often than not. But in general, I, I use LastPass. One password is another really popular one. Uh, Dashlane is a third. Like, you know, those are just some that come to mind. Um, I would rather people walk away from this saying, all right, here's a couple of choices for me. Uh, do your own explanation, exploration, see if there's anything that you like about one versus the other. Uh, but at a bare minimum, get a password manager, keep your credentials secure, uh, create passwords that are complex and use them that way. Uh, we, we've often heard some concerns about, you know, what, what if an attacker gets access to it? What can they do? Uh, well, the truth is that, you know, all of these tools that we're talking about from a password management standpoint are built around protecting those passwords. So they have a master password to let you in, but they are constructed in such a way that, you know, an attacker can't break in and steal your passwords without that interaction with you. So, you know, be, be comfortable in using them and know that you've reduced risk ultimately by making more complex passwords. Right. But use a reputable one, right? Uh, uh, make sure at least it's got reviews and you have some sense that right. it's legit. Bottom line, use one, use anything. Don't use formulaic passwords. So, but, but I interrupted you, right? You were going down the path of saying, you know, what else do we use to protect email? Right. And I think that 
because it is sort of a recurring theme, especially in our conversation today, and we'll return to it again. Um, protect your email with additional uh, security measures. Every email provider that's free that I'm aware of offers uh, multi-factor uh, authentication, which is a mouthful. Right. It's called two-step login. Um, two-factor. Two-factor. Uh, secure login with text messages. It, any variation of those themes are, are really what you're trying to, to look for. Go into your account profiles, turn it on, get a text message, have your phone prompt you. All of these things help to protect your accounts. You may be familiar with it in the form of a text message or similar from your bank. Um, if you are asked to supply your, your phone number, it's at least better than nothing. Um, what you're doing is essentially enabling um, your account or you're protecting your account by forcing uh, a message to your phone or some other uh, device when you log in. So in other words, if your password is stolen, assume that it will be. At the very least, that can't be used against you without your awareness. And if that attacker doesn't have access to your phone, they can't get in. Right. So the, I mean, the general definition I, I, that you often hear is two-factor is protecting something that you know with something that you have, right? So you know your password, uh, you have a phone that can receive a text message, right? So the idea being you really are limited, uh, you're limiting your exposure through multiple forms of authentication for that. And, and critically important, two-factor, multi-factor is quickly becoming, uh, I'd say, a common or almost required component of protecting any critical data. Uh, other practical things you can do just, you know, to move things a bit is freeze your credit. Consider interacting with your credit bureaus. It's, it's free. It's not exactly onerous to do. And what it will effectively allow you to say is, hey, uh, you, you can protect your systems from identity theft. You can protect your data and your credit line from identity theft by simply requiring that creditors interact with you before performing a credit check. Um, it's not especially painful. If you need to open up a new line of credit, open a loan, you just turn it off for a little while and then off you go. But you can rest assured that if someone has your social security number, date of birth, and financial information, that they can't use it against you. Now, I mean, it, it, it's a hugely powerful tool that individuals have, right? And uh, every time you open up any kind of credit, they're going to check one of the, one of the major credit bureaus. Uh, the challenge, of course, is they, you rarely can be told which credit bureau they're going to check, so you probably have to unfreeze it at each. But it really puts the control into your hands, which is, I think, one of the more difficult things to get when sort of operating this technology age, right, is, is regaining that control, and that allows you to do that. Um, so tempted just to talk about Internet of Things, uh, just for the sheer fun of it, because I know that uh, not your favorite term. So let's just call it smart devices, right? And it's important that we that you always have up-to-date versions of whatever product you're running, uh, whether it be your, your Mac or your PC, uh, your Nest thermostat, your Apple TV, your Chromecast. What, you, know, you can run down a list of all of those internet-enabled devices that you have in your house now. Uh, they all represent an attack vector of sorts. And it's a little bit onerous because sometimes the update process isn't, isn't totally seamless with these, but it's really valuable to go through and make sure that those devices that you use regularly uh, are updated. Um, wireless routers would be another spot that I think represent a, a legitimate risk uh, to, to uh, 
potential you know, internet-facing attacks, and you want to make sure you update those as well. Um, one other place that, that briefly comes to mind for me would be if you can, or if you have the capability at home, uh, enabling guest Wi-Fi on your routers. I think you know everybody's got visitors, transient folks. Maybe you want to put your smart devices on your guest wireless and better protect some of those more important internal computers. Um, but you know, creatively using guest Wi-Fi is, is often a useful sort of individual protection quality. And review what you have. If you don't use your smart TV, don't connect it to your Wi-Fi network. You know, the most secure device is something that's not connected to anything else. Right. And, you know, just be mindful of the, the tools that are deployed. Be mindful of the things that you have on your network at home. So, you know, all, all the conversation we're having here are in more generalized terms is things that we would talk about with business customers, right? If we were sitting with a business, we'd say, make sure you do a data flow diagram, make sure you do a data inventory, make sure you patch, right? The, the terminology might be slightly different. Uh, the scale and sort of breadth that you might attack some of these problems is going to be different. Uh, but at the root of it, you know, everybody needs to have good passwords. You really want to use two-factor. In my opinion, there's there's really nothing more important than backing your data up and ensuring that you've got reliable secondary copies. Um, I love that you brought up freeze for your credit because I think that's that's such a valuable financial tool. Uh, you do all of those, and you I think you'll find yourself in, a, in a, quite a good position at home. And as always, be mindful of what you're doing, what you're using, and how you interact with data and devices. If you do that you'll at least detect something that's uh, likely to impact you before it does. So one thing we didn't talk about is is phishing. And actually, I, I intentionally want to avoid diving in that today because I believe that's, a, that's really a topic on its own. But, you know, when thinking about phishing you know, and, and mindfulness is what brought that to mind for me, uh, you, you want to pay attention to the email that you get and you want to really feel confident you're getting it from from people that you know. Uh, I think we'll spend a bunch of time in an upcoming episode around you know, phishing detection and how you can sort of you know, better better understand what's legitimate which is versus what's fraudulent, and we'll spend some time on that. But uh, take advantage of some of these tips. Uh, protect yourself better at home. Uh, the skills and the routines that you develop there will translate into the workplace and, and provide a better uh, sort of work-slash-life balance to some degree. Uh, and with that, uh, as always, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we truly hope that you got some value out of this. Thank you. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.